Genesis chapter 45, we are closing the Joseph series today. But we're going from glory to glory, so we're going on to something better next week, the blessed life, as you've already heard about. But um, I'm just so, so stoked about what God is doing in this church, through us, in us, amongst us, and in some ways because of us. And in other ways, in spite of us. <laughs> and you know, God will do his thing. God will do his thing. That's four of us. God will do his thing. Yeah, okay. Because God is God. No matter what's going on, God always comes out on top. In fact, he never goes anywhere else than on top. He never has a, even two minutes of being under anything. <laughs> He's king all the time. Genesis 45, we're closing, we're closing today. We're closing the series today. And I want to talk about your best life. Right? I want to talk. Just look at someone and say, your best life is something to push into. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you know God's got a best life for you? A best life. Oh, Pastor Jay, you're just dangling carrots. Well, it's better than dangling onions. Yeah? Something that's a bit attractive. Something that's got something to it. You know what? God wants to stir us up and spur us on that there is something far better than what you're experiencing right now. There's something better. There's something better. Oh, but Pastor Jay, aren't we just supposed to be content with everything we got? We're supposed to be content on the inside and pushing on the outside. Never give up pushing. Never give up pushing. Never give up pressing in. The Apostle Paul said, I struggle with the energy that God has put on the inside of me. This is something every day I'm wrestling with, I'm struggling with, not struggling against, struggling with. I don't know, some people never seem to get into that realm of knowing what it is to struggle with the power of God on the inside. And I want to encourage us this year, let this year be a year of struggle. Oh, Oh, a year of struggle. I'm not talking about struggling with the enemy. I'm not talking about struggling with circumstances. and I'm talking about struggling because God is so flipping big on the inside that you can't handle it. You're being overwhelmed by it. You're being troubled by it because God seems to be doing something so incredible on the inside that it's more than your flesh can handle. It's more than your mind can handle. Dear God, let, let's get God out of the box. Out of the smallness of our thinking, out of the containment we've heard today about, you know, seeds uh, of this. Uh, oh. Oh. In the praise earlier, my body couldn't do what I wanted it to do. Like, yeah, just doesn't do it. Man, alive, a seed is like a little ball of energy. All it needs is the right environment and it explodes in the life. Wow. Struggle with what God is doing on the inside. <laughs> Genesis 45, verses 1 to 9 and verses 16. To, we're going to read a chunk of scripture. I really feel a bit guilty. That's not good. <laughs> We've not read a lot of Bible in the last six weeks. It's like, I wanna, it's like 13 chapters. 
And I, I know we've all read it in our own personal times, probably once or twice, that's great. But on a Sunday, it's like whole passages I want to read. And then, then I end up with preaching for five minutes, if ever. But we're going to read a chunk of Bible today. This is at the end of the story of, of um, uh, Joseph. And I know there is so much. We could have said so much about him in prison, so much going through the journey he went on, so much coming out of prison, so much when he's ruling in the seven years of abundance through the seven years of famine, so much about the family, his family that rejected him and they came and they came in poverty carrying little sacks and they came because they were starving and everything had gone wrong and, and they came and the whole world came and there's, there's, there's so much and then there's all the stuff with the you know the sons come and they put uh, a cup in the in the sack of the of of Joseph's uh, brother by his mum and all sorts of stuff and they didn't see who he was. There's so many things we could say. This is an example of Jesus Christ that he came and his brothers didn't realize who he was and then he comes again and they all see him. There's so much. There's so much we can talk about Joseph. I could honestly do six months on Joseph, but we're not. We're ending today, so I'm going to read a truckload of Bible, and hopefully that will do the job. Right, then Joseph, verse 1, Genesis 45. Have you got it? Wonderful. Then Joseph could not restrain himself. I love that. A time came in Joseph's life when he went, boom! Boom! (laughs) just exploded have you ever seen those things on spontaneous combustion I know it's nasty to talk about on a Sunday and people don't know why it happened people just suddenly burst into flames (laughs) it's like boom let's not go there this morning (laughs) that's not that's not that's not good let's not go there I've just realized I've got my phone in my pocket I don't know who I'm expecting to call me right now so let's put that over there couldn't restrain himself. I think there are too many Christians restraining themselves. Restraining themselves. Sometimes we blame the enemy and it's not the enemy, it's our own self. It's our own flesh uh, flesh putting on the limits. But Joseph here couldn't restrain himself before all those who stood by him and he cried out, make everyone go out from me. This is the point when all the brothers had come And then he'd sent them home again, and then they came back again, and all that stuff had happened. And it's time for him to reveal who he is. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So there was no one who stood with him while he made himself known to his brothers. And he cried, he cried out aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. He absolutely wailed. This was a life-changing time for his family, absolutely, but for him as well. He'd lived for years, years, I don't know how many years, 20 years, I don't know. He'd lived for years away from those whom he still loved. And he knew God was going to turn this around and this was the moment. There's something about you need to know your moment. You need to know your moment. 
We could go to so many Bible verses about how, how actually, you know, Christ called the Israelites hypocrites because they didn't discern the time when they knew what was going on in the news, but they didn't know what was going on in the timing of God. And we're so bombarded with stuff from the outside every day, every moment. I have listened to more politics in the last year. This is no exaggeration than in my whole of my life put together. No exaggeration. I've had debates with myself. <laughs> what do I think about this? What do I think about that? I've gone, my, my view's gone from that to that and back to there again and in the middle and over there. Then I hear this and I think, that's a good idea. Then I think, no, that's a good idea. I'm just, I'm not confused. I'm just all over the place. <laughs> I don't know about you. There is so much going on. Then there's all the stuff about what you, you know, the current news things going on. Should she, shouldn't she? Oh, let's, uh, uh. Chup, chup, chup. Don't, don't, stop. Stop, stop, stop. Church doesn't address politics, not, not political opinion. We address wholesome thinking and faith. But there's a time to know your moment. You've got to know your moment. If you don't know your moment, you can miss your moment. He knew this was it. I really believe as a church, this is it. This is it. Perhaps for your business, this is it. For your life, this is it. For your marriage, this is it. For your kids, this is it. How many of you know you sometimes don't get a second it? I'm not saying God can't restore, God can't do things again. God can do all sorts of stuff, which we're going to find out today. But there's also an it moment. There's an it. There's a time. There's a time for you to go, that's it, everybody out. When he went to raise Girl from the dead, Jairus' daughter. And they said, don't bother coming anymore. See, Jesus kept coming because it was an it moment. It was an it moment. You need to know your it moments. And he said, everybody out. We've already heard today a seed needs to be isolated for it to germinate. And there are times when you need to know it's you and God, this is it. This is it. We're coming out on top. We're going to win. No matter what people think, no matter what people are saying, I'm coming out of this thing. We're coming out on top. Family's going to be restored. Kids are going to grow up well. Education is going to happen. Marriage is going to happen. Finances are going to happen. Health is going to happen. Amen. Dear God, when we start singing, I'm healed, I'm laying hands on myself. I'm not sick, but dear, I'm staying that way. Seriously, I don't know what you do in praise and worship. I'm so glad I look this way because I, I don't want to be moved by what I see. All I see is this group here and there's Debbie doing her stuff. It's awesome. And she gets into some of this. It's amazing. Then I've got Angela. Oh, man, she just... It's, oh, come on. 
That's what I'm facing. It's awesome. It's one hand, isn't it? And it's that, it's awesome. And I've got Arnie up here. This is what I look at. I've got Arnie, you remember this? It's awesome. Man. So good. That's what I'm looking at. I'll make sure my view is a good one. In my peripheral. I've got Ezra. I don't know what he's doing. He's exploding over there. <laughs> You've got to know your moment. You've got to know your moment. Clear everything out that's distracting. Clear everything out that's just going to pull you back. So I want everybody out because this is my moment. You've got to clear out the doctors sometimes. Oh, don't take that the wrong way. Out of your thinking. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. You've got to clear it out. Hello? You've got to clear out what they're saying about the economy. Just clear it out. I'm not subject to the economy. I'm subject to the promises of God. Absolutely, 100%. You can put me in the middle of a desert and I will prosper. Got to know your moment. So no one stood with him. He wailed and the Egyptians, and they heard it through the house. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? What a good way to start a conversation. Whoa! (laughs) Brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Can you imagine? They thought this guy was dead, long gone. And he said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt, but now do not therefore be grieved or be angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years of famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you on, in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God's got a bigger plan. So now it was not you who sent me. It was not you who sent me here, but God sent me here and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of uh, ocean and you shall be very near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Oh, this guy is so focused. He's so focused. He's saying, this is why it's happened. This is what's going on. 
Yes, he was certainly emotional about it. Yes, he was certainly stirred up about it. But he said, you know what? This is the plan. This is the plan. God had a bigger plan. God had a bigger picture. God had, had something far greater than you or I could ever have imagined. Genesis chapter 45, verse 16. Now the report of this was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying his uh, brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to, uh, to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. This is Pharaoh speaking. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. <laughs> Man, this is happy ground right here. The best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. He didn't say you'll get fat in the land. Just, just saying. Now you are commanded to do this. To take wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Look at someone say, the best of the land is yours. Look at someone else say, the best of the land is yours. We're going to keep saying this till we get it. Look at someone else say, the best of the land is yours. Now look at yourself. Self, the best of the land is mine. The best, guys. The best. The best. Man alive. <laughs> Genesis 50. I said we're reading a lot of Bible today. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, this is now years later. We've jumped five chapters. Lots has happened. Perhaps all the, the brothers say this. Perhaps now Joseph will hate us and may actually repay all the evil which we did to him. See, they had this thought that perhaps he was only being nice because the dad was still alive. Once the dad's gone, now I can really tell you what I think. Yeah? And so they send to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers for their sin, for the evil that they did to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the serpents, the serpents, the servants of the God of your father. And, and he wept. He wept. He thought, guys, you just didn't get it, did you? You didn't get it. It was too good to be true. You thought I was being scheming and I was being hypocritical and two-faced. I was being genuine when I said, do not be grieved. We read it earlier. Do not be grieved. Don't trouble yourself. You didn't send me here. God sent me here. And yet they'd carried this attitude all these years. He's only being nice to us because of dad. Sometimes people just don't get it even though you tell them. I forgive you. Oh, yeah, but really, oh, no, nobody can forgive that. I love you, yeah, but look how bad I am. Can I just say, when you come to God, you need to believe that he loves you. He needs to believe that he's forgiven you. 
He, what he says, he means. You don't need to be going through your life, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm God. Don't have a sin consciousness. The Bible says when we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, we have no more, no more mindfulness of sin. Now that can appear to be arrogance. And then people say, oh God, we're just sinners. I just, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not a sinner, I'm a saint. I get it wrong every now and again, but I went through a transformation 30 something years ago. I was a sinner. Sin was natural to me. It was a generator on the inside. I didn't have to do anything and it just came out. Attitudes came out because they were in there. But when you give your life to Christ, he takes out the old heart and he puts in a brand new spirit. This is not just a makeover, guys. This is a recreation. It's not just something, oh, I live my life a bit better. Living your life a bit better does not give you eternal life. It gives you pride. Look what I'm doing now. I'm living my life better. I'm being nice to people. I'm being good to people. I've got a better attitude. It's as if we've been through the best self-help club. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about you can't do it. Let me do it for you. Take out the old heart, put in a new one. And now as he is, so am I in this world. I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a saint. I'm a son of the living God. And from that place, I don't live an arrogant life. I live a life relying on the one who did the miracle come on are we getting this I don't go around with some oh I'm so sorry God mentality I don't live like that my kids don't come home and the first thing they say is oh dad I'm sorry there are times they need to say sorry but there's not a sorry consciousness in our house are you with me there's a relational culture in our house you can come in no matter what. And I know how, how we all discipline kids is so, so, so different. And I'm not going to really touch that. But in our house, we had a principle. We do not send children out of, our, out of our presence. We keep them in our presence. So when they've done it wrong, you, you know, you have to go to your room. We never sent our kids to, uh, to the room because that teaches them when they've done something wrong, they can't stay in our presence. That's a fundamental error. We say, you've done something wrong, you come here. You come here and we talk about it. There are times when they were having freakouts when we said, sit on the, on the step of the staircase and you know what? We would have the door open and we would be in eye contact like this. But it was a place where they could just contain themselves. It wasn't the sending out of the presence. You understand the difference there? So, so important. Never send your kids away. Always bring them towards you. You know, and then people wonder why they're getting stoned and doing stuff and don't tell their parents. Hello? Why don't they tell you? Because you always send them out. That's, have I said, is that okay? Smart, is that all right? Okay. Just saying, if that's your, if that's your culture, you do what you want to do, uh, that's fine and, and it's never too late to change. Okay? Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph 
wept aloud when they spoke to him and said, we don't think you really mean what you say. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. See, he knew the situation. He wasn't saying, oh, you didn't mean it. They absolutely meant it. But our forgiveness and our acceptance of people is not determined on what they intended. Oh, they didn't mean it. Oh, that's okay. I'll forgive you. They meant it. You toe rag. I ain't forgiving you. No, it's their intention is completely, completely, completely irrelevant. He said, I know that you meant to do it, but my forgiveness and my own personal state is not dependent on you. It's dependent on me. I'm not drinking your poison. Am I in the place of God? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Everybody say, God God meant it it for good. Wow. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your kids. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. As you can see, there's so much we could preach about from this whole story, this whole account of uh, Joseph. But today, what I want to make loud and clear in this place is no matter what happens, God has a bigger plan. (laughs) No matter what happens, God's got a bigger plan. A fundamental conviction that I have I don't know, it seems to be the older I get, people ask me, how do you live your life? When you're younger, it's all theory. When you're older, you've got a few scars. A fundamental conviction that I have is that God may not have sent this situation. May not have been orchestrated by God. It may not have been created by God. In fact, the devil might want to bring destruction. It may be an outright work of evil. It can be something that is just completely wrong, should never have happened. Other people might be looking and wondering what on earth has happened. But I am going to make sure. I am committed to this. I'm going to make 100% sure that God gets right in the middle of this situation. See, so often when things go wrong or where people find themselves what they perceive to be out of the will of God, they're so aggressive at fighting the thing, sometimes God wants us to stop and get God in the middle of the thing and use the thing. Hello? I am absolutely committed to coming out on top. Abundantly blessed and far better off as if the thing had never happened in the first place. How do you see your life? Oh, but because of that, I'm under. No, because of that, I'm going higher. Come on, are you getting this this morning? Seriously. My best life is not found in the absence of adversity. This is not an age of 
I haven't got a word for it. Utopia. Heaven's coming. That's great. But while we're in the lousy here and now, <laughs> the imperfect here and now, I'm still in the same kingdom. I'm still in the kingdom of heaven and I can live in all the good stuff even though the stuff around me is not kingdom stuff. Are we getting this? So important. My best life, how does it come? It comes by winning against all the odds. I am committed to winning. As a church, we are committed to winning. I really see it like this. There are no failures in the kingdom of God because everything is an opportunity. Oh, but I failed. No, you're just on the journey to a greater success. You're on the, on the journey. You're on the road to a greater success, to a greater victory. See, people who live in this, oh, it went wrong, it failed, I'm under attack, whatever. Dear God, we need to get above all of that stuff. I'm not saying we don't fight. In, a, in academy, we do. We start the year with a whole series on the authority of the believer. Resist the enemy. Bind his works. Use the name of Jesus. Take captive every thought. Go to war against the enemy. And absolutely, we're called to live in that sort of a mentality. But we don't have aggression on the inside of us. We have a victory on the inside of us. We come from the place of, I'm a winner. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. This, I'm just so excited about seeing what God is going to do in this one. This is so bad. Oh, this is going to be awesome. God's going to come through and shine in this. What an opportunity we have. Just how many things have I got? Three things that we need to talk about today. Number one, change your perspective. Psalm 2. I love Psalm 2. I've prayed this so many times. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers um, have taken counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Anybody anointed here today? I am healed, I am called, I, I am saved, I am called, I'm healed, I am blessed, I'm saved in Jesus. Highly favoured, anointed, anointed. Can we get down to some good old Pentecostal preaching right now? I am anointed with burden-removing, yoke-destroying power. I am so anointed, I ooze out the Holy Ghost. The glory of God, the power of God, the grace of God. No, you put pressure on me. God's coming out. I am anointed. You are anointed. We used to sing this song down in Kingdom Faith, Pastor Colin Urquhart's church. The word says, I'm anointed, so I am. That was about the whole song. That was it. The word says, I'm anointed, so I am. The word says, I'm anointed, so I am. Uh, something, something, something. The word says, so I'm anointed. I can't remember the other bit. I'm so, I'm so hung up on the anointing. It's not a word we use very much because people don't understand what it means. But it means you got the power to do what God's called you to do. The power of God is upon your life. He's soaking through your life. You're like a sponge of the presence and the glory of God. Put you in any situation. You can clean anything. You can empower anything. You can heal anything. You can resist anything. You can rebuke anything. You can, you can shine in the glory in any sense. Because I'm anointed. I'm anointed. 
to remove burdens and destroy yokes. See a yoke on someone, go and anoint all over them. I don't know what that was. I just don't know what else to do. Get the anointing out of your life and onto the people around you. When people come into your presence, they need to leave anointed. Anointed with something. Not depressed, fed up, hopeless, in despair. Jesus said, whatever house you go in, shalom. Shalom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out every house. Walk in, right? What can we do here? I'm anointed, let's fix this. Come on, does anybody else believe this? Or do we need to go back 20 years and teach some of this stuff again? Wherever we go, we are miracle workers. We are the anointed of God, the body of Christ. If you walk in, it's like Jesus has walked in. There is no difference. You walk in, the Son of God walks in. You open your mouth, the Word of God comes out. You use your faith, God moves. Stirred up with this today. I need to read this passage. The enemies are saying, let us break their bonds in pieces, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens sits there and laughs. I love this. See, I just need to have a good laugh. Seriously, you need to know how to laugh by faith. There are times I just sit there and start going, ha, 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 If you've never done that, you need to. It's, it's called living by faith. Ah, uh, but I thought a, fa- a laugh has to, ca- no, just, just start. Make yourself laugh. Have a good laugh. Have a good laugh. And if you're really struggling with that, look at yourself in the mirror. That helps. <laughs> that helps. Especially first thing in the morning. Man alive, there was the other morning, some, the, the other morning I looked at Sharon and she was lying there and I said, and it really woke me up. I went, your hair. <laughs> it was like, woo. It was alive, man. I mean, some of you, it's all right. You just pick yours up and put it on in the morning. But, but Sharon's... First time I ever encountered that, we had a healing line going on. We had a healing line, seriously. And I laid hands on this lady and I did that and it was all lumpy. It was all lumpy. I thought, this is honestly true, I thought she had a disease in the head, all right? So I was praying in Jesus' name, oh God, I pray, Lord, that you heal this. And I knew what I was praying. I was praying against pins. I didn't know. How am I supposed to know? If you don't tell me, I don't know. When we got married, I said to Sharon right now, just don't hint, say it as it is. Is that we said that? Because she'd be all nice and trying to get a point across. And of course, just we're men. There's a zhong. Straight over the top. She said, yeah, but we had the conversation. I said, no, we, what? 
Well, I was hoping that you'd work it out and think about it and do something. Just tell me to do it. Just tell me. And all the men said, Amen. <laughs> Dear God. The other time I encountered something, we were baptizing someone. This older man, bless him. Tony was his name. We'll leave it there. This is over, this is about 23 years, 20, 25 years ago now, 26 years ago. And we were in the baptism pool and we'd already discussed the two of us what we we're going to do with the toupee. Because it sat there and it was not fixed. It, it sort of did this. And he had grey hair all the, way, all the way around there and ginger toupee. All right? And it was like, like this and sometimes it was turned sideways. The parting was across there. Honest. And we thought, what are we doing with this? And I said, so we discussed and we said, right, okay. I'll put my hand on his head and we'll do that to hold it on. Do you know what I mean? And then we don't want it floating off around the pool. I mean, that just wouldn't be nice. Get the fishing pole out. And so, and you hold these, you know, that bit in the hands and the arms and I'll hold his head and we'll go down and up again and it'll all be good. And of course, the whole church was like, oh, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen here? So there we were. We were ready. We were ready. You'll do. You look like, no, you don't look like you're a wig, but you can stand up with me. We were ready like this. We were ready. Hold that, hold that, there you go, like this. We were ready. We're holding on. And we're just about to go down and he says, stop. Say stop. Stop. All right. He says, stop. And I go, what? And he says, just wait a minute. And sit down there. And he gets a shower cap. In fact, come here. It's clean. It's clean. Gets the shower cap on. And he says, we're all good now. It's got elastic. It's like elastic, so it's like squeezing this bit. And then we sort of dunked her. Thank you very much. Amazing. Amazing what people will do. Oh, man. He who sits in the heavens will laugh. If you're having trouble laughing, think of that. Look in the mirror. Do something. Tell yourself a joke. No one else laughs at my jokes. I laugh at my jokes. Isn't that true, Michael Melfi? Yeah. No one laughs at my jokes. But I refuse to be defeated. I'm pressing on. <laughs> the Lord shall hold them in derision. And he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. When everyone else is saying, it's going to fail, you're going to go down, this is never going to happen, you can sit in the heavenlies on your throne with God and laugh and say, this is going to turn around. This is going to turn around. I want to ask the question today, are you sitting comfortably on your throne? Stop, stop fidgeting. 
Stop getting up and doing what you do. Just sit there in your authority. Sit there in your power. Sit there in the grace of God. Sit there in your joy and have a good laugh. Have a good laugh. Time for the church to laugh again. What is it that the devil has done taking laughter out the church? What has he done? He's a clever devil. He's a clever, clever, clever devil. What has he done that we gather together, not us, but we, we the church, gather together on a Sunday and have a time of misery? When God says, come on, get together and in my presence is joy everlasting and full of glory. Have a good laugh. When's the last time you cried with laughter? You ached with laughter. Yeah, I do that when I watch Michael McIntyre. Man, he just, uh, he just gets me. Hysterical. So funny. But we're not just talking about laughing because of a joke. We're talking about laughing because of a confidence on the inside that I'm coming out in victory. Devil, shoot your best shot because I'm about to smash your head with a rod of iron. Break this situation with the anointing. Number two, as the band comes up, don't complain. Look at someone and say, are you sitting comfortably? Now say it with a smile on your face. Are you sitting comfortably? Now say it with a laughter. Ha, 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 are you? Ha, 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 sitting. Ha, 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 comfortably. That's it. Love it. <laughs> and the next one, don't complain. Genesis 45, verses 5 to 8. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. We've already read this today. And God sent me before you, verse 7, to preserve a, pros a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here. God sent me here and he's made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house, ruler. Can I say, don't criticise the very thing which will make you great. Amen. Do you get that? Don't criticise the very thing that will make you great. Well, how do I know what's going to make me great? Anything that's against you. Anything that's against you is the tool of God to make you greater than it. Oh, you see, we're getting a little bit, oh, wow, really? What happened to me when I was a child? You really think God's going to use that? I just want to forget it. We've already heard about forget it, but God's going to use it. He knew exactly what his brothers had done. He knew exactly what his brothers had done. Don't criticise the very thing that will make you great. God was able to use the very things that the enemy meant for, for his destruction because Joseph didn't complain about them. Never allow your outside circumstance to affect your inner state of gratitude and contentment. Your outside will always rise or fall to the level of your inside. So don't complain about the problem. The problem's awesome. Bring it on. Bring it on but it's nearly killing me. So, yeah, but it's not, and you're going to come out, and it will never be able to nearly kill you again. Yeah. 
Don't complain about the problem. Solve the problem. Take the problem to God. Sit in the heavenlies and laugh about it. Seriously, you know, people say, how'd you live your life? Well, this is about as fundamental as it gets. Number three, as we close, God at work. The amount of times we drive now, everywhere we go, we see these signs all over the place. Everywhere. I've got 400 horses in my bonnet. 400 horses in my bonnet. You got me? How many? 400 horses. And these guys are Arabian horses. 400 of them. I opened up my bonnet yesterday. I had to fix a couple of things. And I just looked where it said supercharged. And I just thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. Ah. We don't get political in this church. We're not going. <laughs> Supercharged. And it said it around the other side as well. Supercharged. 400 horses. <laughs> it's no good when there's like a 20 mile an hour <laughs> on the motorway. Why? Because there's men at work. Now that's a bad thing about men men at work but the point is God is at work in our lives God is at work James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 my brothers count it all joy let me just say it count it all joy when you fall into various trials that's a Greek word temptations tests or trials, it incorporates everything. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, <laughs> knowing, having a conviction, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Nothing. Joy is indestructible. Joy is indestructible. The devil can do nothing with a joyful Christian. Nothing. It's the very source of our strength. Joy is the anointing that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know how you see Jesus being raised from the dead, but I have a conviction this is what happened. That He came out the grave laughing. Seriously. Not just out the grave, when He got up. You know when you smack a baby, they cry? And when the... First thing a child experiences when they're born is a cry. The first thing that Christ experienced when He was the first born from the dead 
was the joy of the Lord. The Bible says His joy raised Jesus from the dead. Hebrews chapter 1. I haven't got time to get it. Come to Academy. You'll find out about all this stuff. It was the joy of the Lord that raised Jesus from the dead. He came out the grave laughing, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. What was the joy set before Him? Resurrection Day. He came out the grave laughing. He came out with a belly laugh that probably caused the rock to move. (laughs) The angels moved it, we know. Joy releases God's power. How do you view tests and trials? A statement I haven't got time to justify here today, but trials do not build your faith. Trials do not build your faith. They show you what faith you've already got. The Bible didn't say, count it all joy because the testing of you develops faith. It's not what it says. It says the testing of your faith develops patience. This is why we need to build stuff before we ever get into the test. It's no good when somebody comes through the door with a gun and says, I'm taking over this household. No good for me to start saying, oh, give me five minutes. I just need to build my muscles up. I just need to get going here and I need to strengthen. I could keep going for hours, but I just, we're over time. It's too late to start training. He's already in the household. We need to train beforehand. So when he comes through the door, all I need to do is go, and I split my jacket. And my buttons pop off because my six-pack. Actually, I've got an eight-pack, just so you know. I need to lose some weight. (laughs) Trials don't build faith. They reveal the faith we already have and give us the opportunity to exercise patience. Why is patience so important? Because patience works wonders. Patience works wonders. (laughs) I'm just really impatient. (laughs) You better change because you're going to be imperfect and lack everything. Just saying. Faith and patience working together will deliver the believer from any test, temptation or trial they may ever encounter. See, patience works in us. Faith works through us. I want to build patience. Therefore, I have to exercise patience. Let patience work. In every temptation, test and trial, you want the answer now and it's coming sometime. Hello? Now there's a time for a breakthrough. But can I say, come on guys, we don't live every day in breakthrough. I don't know about you, but we live every day in sowing and reaping. And the harvest comes after patience. The harvest, the farmer waits patiently for the crop. Not, I wonder if this is going to happen. He's working on that seed. He's working on the ground. He's working on the environment. He's creating the best thing he can. He's, he's got to wait and wait and wait because there's a harvest coming. 
Patience, 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 patience. And number four as we close. Know that God will turn this around. (laughs) Of course. Genesis 50 verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. This word meant is a Hebrew word, chashab, which is normally used in a bad sense. It means to manipulate, it means to plot, and it means to scheme. It's normally used in a bad way. And of course, he's saying, you meant it for evil. You plotted, you schemed. But then the interesting thing, he uses the same word for God. But God meant it for good. You may think you were plotting and scheming, but God was plotting and scheming before you were plotting and scheming because He could see what your plot and schemes were going to do. So He was already working beforehand, preparing something in me to go through what I'm going through because He could see your plot and schemes were going to come to nothing because He's sitting in the heavens and He's laughing. He knows what's coming. (laughs) It comes from a root, Hebrew root, which means to plat or to weave. That God takes the strands of your hair and weaves them together. He takes the the threads of wool and weaves them together to produce a masterpiece. But the thing which is amazing about this for me is that God takes the very strands that the enemy used to weave your destruction and he says, now I want that mess here and I'm going to spend some time, I'm going to unpick and unweave. I'm not throwing the garment away, I will use everything. The painful stuff, the good, the bad and the ugly. That thread of what an incredible overcoming experience you had, we'll use that. That thread of what they said to you when you were a child that you want to just just throw away and say, God can't do anything with that. And I've suffered for 20 years because of what that person said. No, I'm not throwing that away. I'm going to use that. That situation that you went through in your marriage and it all fell apart and you think, oh, but God hates divorce and it's all gone wrong and how can God ever use me or love me? You know what? I'm going to pick up that strand and I'm going to use that. And I'm going to take everything from your life and I'm going to put it together in a different way than the enemy plotted to put it together. And I'm going to create something that is a coat of many colours for your life, a coat of dreams for your life, a coat of vision for your life. And it's going to be the joy that keeps us in the victory. It's going to be the grace that keeps us in the victory. It's going to be the anointing that keeps us in the victory. It's going to be the presence of God that keeps us in the victory. And I know, and I know, and I know that what the enemy meant for evil, God has meant it for good in my life. Come on, let's give a shout.